0: Wow. I just want to sit in that for a little bit, right? Just uh, That's awesome. Uh, Loved when Anthony was here. It was great to meet him. I'm thrilled that the decision is made. And here in the midst of COVID and 2020 and all that's going on, God has blessed us with a building and a lead pastor and just... Honestly, let's just take a minute. Whew. Thank you, Lord. Well, we're continuing our way through Acts. We're in Acts twenty seven. We're so close. <laughs> so close. One more one more chapter to go. 24 years ago in the summer of 1996, um, my buddies Mike and Wally, my son Jesse and I, uh, went on a fishing trip to Eagle Lake in Canada. Uh, Eagle Lake is a, you can drive there. It's uh, not a fly-in lake like some of them further north. And Wally and Mike each had a new boat and they wanted to run their new boats on Eagle. We were very excited about that. And so being summer, it didn't really get dark until nearly 11 o'clock at night. So after dinner on Wednesday, Mike and Jesse and I decided we were going to go back out. We had found a spot during the day where the smallmouth were just killing it. It was awesome. And we're like, we want to go back out and do that again, right? And Wally had heard there was some bad weather coming, so he he said, I'll hang back at the camp. So we went out to the cove and found the spot where the smallies were hitting, and we were just getting set up. And we looked out across the lake, and Eagle is a gigantic lake, and off in the distance we saw the thunderheads and the storm coming. We thought, well, that's we should go. So we pulled out, and as soon as we got out on the main lake, the storm hit. And, I mean, it was amazing. The waves were huge. We were in this, like a 17-foot boat. It wasn't a big boat. And the boat would come flying up over the waves and then just smash down and up and smash down. And it, we were holding on for dear life. And on one particular wave it came up and we pounded down and the window, the pass-through window, uh, on the windshield and there's that pass-through that goes to the front of the boat, that window just came, completely came apart. Whole frame came apart. So Mike and I got up to fix the window and put it back together. Now Eagle Lake's a glacial lake and it's just littered with huge boulders and big rock outcroppings. Some you can see that stick just above the water and a lot just below the water. And it's pretty famous for claiming the lower units of a lot of motors, the lower units, that bottom section with the propeller on it. So, so Mike and I get up, we fix that window, and we, the wind is just blowing us. And Mike drops back in behind the steering wheel, and he hits the uh, the accelerator. What we didn't pay attention to is the wind had blown us off course, closer to shore. So as he took off, it didn't. We didn't go very far when. BAM! The back end of that boat hit something and popped up in the air and dropped back down and Mike hit the button to lift the motor up and said to Jesse, who was sitting in the back, what do you see? And Jesse said, nothing. There's nothing there. The whole back end, bottom end of that motor had snapped off against a boulder. So now the lightning and the thunder is coming across the lake. It's getting closer and closer. And Mike goes up to the front and gets the little trolling motor and drops it down in the water. Now, little trolling motor, huge storm, and we're trying to get just to the shoreline. right? And I'll never forget the sound of that, that trolling motor lifting up out of the water, like, as we tried to get that boat moved toward shore. We finally got to shore, and there's a rocky shoreline, and Mike got off the boat, and he's lashing the boat to trees. And the storm is just pounding that boat up against the rocks. And we're in the wilderness of Canada. Mike's gonna stay with the boat and Jesse and I decide we've got to go for help. So we walk into the woods. And uh, thankfully, i had been a camp counselor. I taught survival and I learned some survival stuff. So I knew if we kept the lake to our left and moved through the woods this way, we'd eventually get to civilization. And it, it was... An amazing story, but I'll just say we did make it out. Um, we got to back to the camp and just as the light was fading and the owner of the, of the resort found his way back by our description to Mike and was able to get to him and rescue him. And our friend Wally was probably no happier than I've ever seen him to see us survive that night. To this day, our son Jesse calls that his near death experience. It really felt like that, being caught in that storm. So, in our story today, Acts 27, we're in the penultimate chapter of Acts. I mean, second to last. And uh, Paul, having appealed to Caesar, is finally on a ship bound for Rome. Along with his other prisoners and other passengers on the boat, we see this seafaring journey, and it's not an easy one, it's late in the season. And so they, they sort of stay on the leeward side of islands, and they try and navigate and stay out of rough water, and they finally settle in a place called Fairhavens. And Paul speaks up, and he said, look, it's late in the season, and we really shouldn't leave this port. And the centurion, Julius, who's with him, says to Paul, well, thanks, prisoner guy, but I'm going to listen to the ship captain and the owner of the boat, and we're gonna try and make it to Phoenix. It's a better port on the island of Crete, and they say we can make it. We really can't winter here in Fairhaven. So off they go into um, the back out into the ocean. Now, I was wondering why my notes ran ahead of me. Um, So they go out into the ocean and sure enough they never make it to Phoenix they just never get there um, the storm comes up and uh, read x27 for yourself because I'll tell you that can make the script for a Russell Crowe blockbuster it's amazing a nor'easter blows up it knocks them off course it actually says that in the Bible a northeast wind a nor'easter in that ocean came up and knocked them off And soon after, we're reading this in verse 21. Since they had been without food for a long time, Paul stood up among them and said, Men, you should have listened to me and not have set sail from Crete and incurred this injury and loss. Yet now I urge you to take heart, for there will be no loss of life among you, but only of the ship. We're going to lose the ship. That storm raged for more than 14 days. They were throwing gear overboard. They were throwing food overboard. They were throwing everything they could throw overboard to lighten the ship and try and save it. At some point, uh, the protection of God promised to them through Paul wasn't convincing enough, and some of the sailors thought, there's no way we're surviving this. And pretending they were throwing out anchors, they were actually letting down a lifeboat. And Paul saw them doing it, and he said to the centurion, those guys are trying to get off the ship. If they get off the ship, they will die. The only way to survive is to stay on the ship. So the centurion cuts the ropes to the lifeboat and make sure that everyone stays on the ship, and eventually they do run the boat aground, and everyone is saved. No one's lost. In 1996, the storm on Eagle Lake lasted for about an hour. Paul's storm went on for more than 14 days. Not to belittle Jesse's claim that his was a near-death experience. Man, Paul and those people on that boat, there were 276 people on that boat. That was a near-death experience for them. I can only imagine the seasoned sailors of the day who had seen other sailor friends of theirs lose their lives in lesser storms. They were convinced, in fact, that they would not survive that storm, so convinced that they decided it was time to jump ship because everything they could see from their experience and their expertise was that they were not going to survive, everyone was going to die, and the ship was going to go down. In the midst of a storm so bad that all the experts determined it was unsurvivable, Paul's only hope was the promise that God had given him, that all who stayed on board would not perish. You see, God had a plan for Paul to stand before Caesar, and in order for that plan to come to pass, the boat had to hold together until they could run it aground. Paul was confident of this, And while nearly every person on the boat seemed to think they were doomed, the reality was that staying on the boat was the only way to survive. So the title for this message today is, Don't Jump Ship. Once again, as in so many times in the book of Acts, we see a situation which by every human calculation, by every visible indication, seems impossible to escape. Paul is stoned appears dead, and then just stands up and walks away. Paul is whipped to within an inch of his life, walks away. A band of Jewish leaders commit themselves to not eat until they've ambushed and killed Paul, and they never catch him. And now an ill-advised ocean voyage at the wrong time of year, in every single case, the reasonably expected outcome from any human perspective never came to pass. Why? Well, I think the answer to that question is actually our big idea of the week. The unseen hand of God accomplishes the unknown plan of God. God is at work in ways we don't understand, in ways we can't see. And while there are certainly times when God reveals a part of his plan, when God shows us his hand, far more often we live our lives In faith faith that God is at work that despite every shred of evidence to the contrary things work out in accordance with his plan in fact I believe Paul's experience over and over and over and over again as detailed in the book of Acts gave him the confidence to write with all certainty The words in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, at some point, Paul did die a martyr's death. In fact, almost all of Jesus' disciples died horrible martyr's deaths. Killed because of their faith and their witness. So I'm not saying that those who are faithful don't suffer and don't die. Paul certainly did. We all do. We suffer and we die. In fact, Paul boasts about all the different ways that he suffered as he went about sharing the gospel. What fascinates me in today's story is that through Paul's very presence, God extended protection to everyone on that ship. 275 other people on that boat with Paul. What an amazing witness to those men on board that ship. When Paul said to them, God told me this isn't how I'm going to die and that all of you are safe as well if you stay on the ship with me. Now theologically from here we can go down some pretty squirrely paths, right? I mean, I can see a slick televangelist taking this point in the story and saying, as long as you're with him, and friends, that means making your most generous contribution today, God will keep you safe. Or, you talk about how near, how keeping people near means going to church every Sunday. Be near the faithful people of God. If you want to experience God's protection, you got to go to church. Maybe I could assure you that if you're faithful to God, everyone who's close to you will be saved. You see, it doesn't take much to turn a story from the Bible into a whole bunch of bad theology and religious abuse. So I want to be super careful here. Super careful. And, and I, I I urge you to read this story and process it for yourself. Find out what the Holy Spirit will be teaching you through story the story of Paul's shipwreck. But I do want to say this, if it's true that God's unseen hand is at work accomplishing God's unknown plan, then it's nearly impossible for us to fully understand or rightly interpret the circumstances in which we find ourselves. I want to say that again. If it's true that God's unseen hand is accomplishing his unknown plan, it is nearly impossible for us to rightly and fully interpret all of the situations in which we find ourselves. In short, we can't let what we see totally define our reality. Now, I'm not advocating for living in a fantasy world, but just look at Common Ground West. In the midst of a pandemic, when people aren't allowed to get close to each other or give each other a hug or spend time together for fear of getting a deadly disease, God has provided a building that we have wanted for over 10 years and a new lead pastor. God's unseen hand accomplishing God's unknown plan. So while I'm not advocating fantasy, I'm saying it's very, very important, vitally important for those of us who follow Jesus to develop our eyes of faith, to hope for things we cannot see and trust that in all things, all things, God is at work accomplishing his will. Further, and I will go out on a limb on this one, that being connected to God, heeding his voice and following his lead can and does result in blessings for those around us whether they know jesus or not yes by our obedience through our surrender to the will and the working of god in our lives we do visit blessings on others and we've often talked about that here about being the hands and feet of jesus in very tangible ways in a troubled world visiting the sick and the imprisoned, prison caring for widows and orphans feeding the hungry and Housing the homeless, championing the oppressed, caring for those who can't care for themselves. And we should continue to look for opportunities to be the visible presence of God in the lives of others. But if the unseen hand of God is accomplishing the unknown plan of God, then I also have to trust that there are blessings visited on those around me in ways I will never know and I will never understand. My calling is not to be cognizant of all the ways that God blesses others through me, but it is rather to be connected to God so that he can work through me to be a blessing to others. If, and this is the hard part of the teaching today, right? This one really kind of caught me as I was putting it together. If we allow ourselves to be distracted By the evil one, to believe that the good God is doing through us for others is something for which we should take credit, that temptation can become overwhelming. In other words, if I begin to see myself as an agent of good when I deliver meals to a homeless shelter, or tutor a refugee student, or help rescue someone from trafficking, or provide a child a safe family, there's a risk, and I'm speaking to myself more than anything right now, there's a risk that I will neglect dealing with the sin and brokenness in my own life. I'll get distracted by the good that I'm doing. Hear that? It's been my experience that when I come to believe that I'm a good person doing good things, that must mean that by doing good things, I'm a good person. I hope you can follow here. Because that means then I can begin to fall for the lie that I'm not a broken and stained with sin person who's been redeemed by God through who through me is doing good things, but I'm a good person doing good things, and all the other people around me are probably good people doing good things too. So we stop talking about sin and brokenness and struggle. What if it's much more true to say, I am a broken human being stained with sin and redeemed, restored, and made beautiful by the precious blood of Jesus, and while I do struggle in this life, In some of the same ways that Paul struggled, I stand on faith that is mine as a gift of God through his Holy Spirit. Standing on faith, surrendered to Jesus, free and forgiven, God is at work through me to bless a broken world filled with people longing to know the freedom that I know through Christ alone. Or, as Paul wrote in his letter to the Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Wow. That preaches. Oh my goodness. Faithful followers of Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, standing in the presence of God, we become the path through which God's goodness flows to a broken world. Blessing all who are near us as God's unseen hand accomplishes God's unknown plan. I'll close with this. It's taken me a long time to be okay with that. And there are days when I'm still not. To be okay with the fact that I'm not a good person, but I have been made a new person in Christ Jesus and that the Holy Spirit in me and God at work in my life is accomplishing good things. And I'm finding great freedom now in not feeling obligated to be a good person doing good things. I'm finding much joy and peace and simply staying connected to jesus and letting him bless me and those around me amen